good to be back. Uh, I know I keep saying that, but I just feel like I just am just grateful to be here. You know, who is old enough to remember like the '80s and early '90s? Raise your hand. I know there's not many of us in here. All right. So if your hand was down, I need to tell you about a guy named Mike Tyson. And while I'm telling you, if you got your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Because, see, here's the deal. See, if you didn't have your hand raised, I think you probably think of Mike Tyson as the guy who was in the movie Hangover and who has the face tattoo. And you're right, that is who Mike Tyson is, but, but that's not the Mike Tyson from the 80s and early 90s. Okay, so just some, some information about Mike Tyson before he launched his, you know, acting career. He was a professional boxer, a heavyweight. In fact, he was the youngest person to ever become heavyweight champion of the world. He was just 20 years old. He was the first uh, man to, to hold all three heavyweight titles at once. He won his first 19 professional fights by knockout like it's one thing to win your first 19 fights that's like really amazing he won them all by knockout and of those 19 12 were in the first round now if you've ever watched heavyweight boxing these are really you know typically big guys in the first round they just kind of lean on each other just like they're trying to find this rhythm but tyson would just come out like and he uh, he would charge a cross string and just start throwing just haymakers and and he was going for the quick kill so the question whenever tyson would fight was not will the other guy win but it was will the other guy survive the first round like that was really the the question uh in fact he's the only person to have knocked out larry holmes who was a legend in boxing only man to ever knock him out tyson was a beast in the ring but the pinnacle of his career came when he fought another undefeated man named Michael Spinks. Now, did anybody remember watching that fight? So a little background on Michael Spinks. He was actually not a true heavyweight. He was a light heavyweight. But he was undefeated. No one could even come close to beating him. In fact, not only was he never knocked out, he never even got knocked down. So he just like whipped through the light heavyweights. And then he... He wanted to challenge her. He put on some extra pounds, and he beat the heavyweight champion, who was, this was before Mike Tyson became champion. And so he, he, was, he was the only, still is the only reigning light heavyweight to move up and defeat the reigning heavyweight champion. And the only reason why he gave up that heavyweight belt was because uh, he wanted to fight someone that was kind of a little lower on the heavyweight rankings, not because he was afraid of whoever the number one contender was, but because they were offering him a bigger payday to fight that guy. So he fought that guy and had to give up his crown because he did that. So uh, he bulks up again, and he decides he's going to fight Mike Tyson. So this was like the clash, you know, of, I think that was 88 maybe, something like that. Like, everyone is like, okay, is, is Michael Spinks the one who can take out Mike Tyson? So remember, Spinks, he was tall, kind of lanky, right? Tyson's short and like a bulldog. And Spinks kind of danced around. He, he kind of worked the outer edges of the ring. And Tyson was like 
in the middle, just coming right at you. So it's like, okay, like really different styles. Who, who's going to win? And, the, and at the age of 31, he had never been beaten, never been knocked down. Michael Spinks lasted a whole 91 seconds in the ring against Mike Tyson. He came right out, knocked him down within just a few seconds. The referee steps in. You know, you got to give the guy a little room to get up and regain his... He does, and, and Tyson comes right knocked him down a second time. Referee gives him some more time. He gets up, you know, standing eight count. Tyson comes at him again. And I can tell you, from the opening punch, Michael Spinks, this guy who was like, this could be the guy to take out Tyson. He was, you could see the fear and trembling in his eyes. From the first punch, he, he like just starts running. It was almost like a cartoon, running around the ring, just trying not to get pummeled by Tyson. He lasted 91 seconds. Never been knocked down, knocked down twice, and knocked out and knocked into retirement at the age of 31. Which in boxing, like, that's, that's not old. you got years left on you. But that's what a beast Mike Tyson was. Uh, he referred to himself as the baddest man on the planet. And he was. He broke one boxer's nose with an uppercut. He broke another boxer's jaw with a right cross. Like, he was out to maim and injure his opponent. In fact, he told Lennox Lewis before their talk, he had his little squeaky voice. He says, I want your heart. I want to eat your children. Like he, and like he was, this dude was like ferocious. I mean, he was scary in the ring and outside of the ring. He was number one on ESPN's list of the hardest hitters in heavyweight history. And Sky Sports rated him as the scariest boxer ever and the most ferocious fighter to ever step into a professional ring. Like, you, you just did not want to fight Mike Tyson or encounter him on the streets because the dude had some issues, you know, outside of the ring for sure. So just a year and a half after annihilating Michael Spinks, Mike Tyson has a matchup in Tokyo with a guy named Buster Douglas. This was just a warm-up match because a little bit down the road, everyone is looking ahead to, they're looking past Buster Douglas and they're looking ahead to Evander Holyfield. It's going to be Tyson and Holyfield. This is just a little tune-up to get, to get Tyson ready. And if you can't tell, like, you know, I was a boxing fan back in those days. Those were like the glory days of boxing. But the, the Buster Douglas fight was, like, not even worth watching, right? In fact, here's what's crazy. In Vegas, only one casino would even put odds on the fight. Just one. Because they knew it was no match. And if they put odds on it, like, the odds would be so tremendous that if, if some miraculous way Buster Douglas won, like, they would lose all their money. So one casino put odds on the fight, 42 to 1. And only one person was crazy enough to wager money. Dude bet $1,500 and walked away with, I don't even know what that comes out to, 50-something thousand, if not more than that. Like, Mike Tyson was the baddest man on the planet. So my buddies and I, who, and we're big boxing fans, right? We're like, we ain't going to watch that. 
So we went out. We were, I was in college at the time. So we go out and uh, we got back to the apartment. It's like, you know what? Flip on HBO. Let's just see if Buster Douglas has somehow managed to stay alive through this fight. And so uh, my buddy turns on the TV and he flips over to HBO. And you know what we saw? I kid you not. This is what we saw. Mike Tyson, of all things, like this on the canvas. And he's trying to pick up his mouthpiece while he's trying to stand to his, his eyes are glazed over like he, like we were in shock. Like what? Like this cannot be happening. Not only did Buster Douglas make it through the first round, but he like just put the whooping on Mike Tyson for 10 rounds and knocked him out in the 10th round. His corner was so confident that this would not go even past the first round like so many of his other opponents. They didn't even bring a cold compress into the fight, into the ring, which he needed dearly for 10 rounds. It is by far, I would say, the biggest upset, not just in boxing, but in sports history. Certainly any sport where it's one-on-one, -on -one, like this was the upset. Like Muhammad Ali said he shocked the world. Well, that was before this happened. Buster Douglas shocked the sporting world because he was just a jerk. Like he was a nobody in the boxing world. He lost his next fight, lost the championship, very next fight. But Tyson was amazing. He had guys beat before they even stepped into the ring. You know, you could just see the fear in their eyes. So this was an amazing upset. And, and as amazing as an upset as that was and still is to this day, it's not nearly as big an upset as we're going to read about in our story of David and Goliath. So if you've got your Bible, Sandy, hopefully you are there. First Samuel chapter 17. And what I love, about, I love so much about this story. In fact, let me if I can like not drop everything, let me just show you like chapter 17. I don't know if y'all can see it in my Bible. You see all the highlights, all the underlines, all the writing. Like this is how much I love this chapter of the Bible. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's just fantastic. And, and, you know, it's 58, I think, verses. So it's like a really detailed account of what happens in this battle. And, and just like a heavyweight fight. There's like this buildup and there's these press conferences and, you know, you got to build up the hype. We're not even going to get to the fight tonight. We will get there next week, I promise. Okay, but we're not going to get to the actual battle tonight. We'll get to the battlefield, but not to the battle. So if you were here last week, you know I was not here. Kevin taught it out of some of chapter 17. I'm going to be honest, like I didn't do a good job of checking in to go, okay, what did you cover? What, like I didn't do that. So if I repeat, we're definitely going to read some verses I think that Kevin read. I don't know if, I don't think our sermons are going to be alike because I didn't bother to ask him what he was preaching on. You know, so we're just going to go, okay? Um, but I love it. And, and one thing I love is like it's such a intense, adrenaline, rushing story. And it's so well known. Like, I don't know if anyone, I don't know if like the general population knows any story of scriptures better than David and Goliath. I think people know David and Goliath better than they know Jesus went to the cross. Because I heard it last week on, on football. They're talking about a David and Goliath matchup. Like everyone knows at least the basic premise of David and Goliath. So to um, set the stage a little bit, what we have here, and we're not going to read all, all the verses, okay, like we normally do. But what we have is we have the, the army of Israel lined up on one mountainside. We have the Philistine army lined up on the other mountainside. And there's this valley 
in between that's about 100 yards wide. And so they, they're getting ready to, to do battle, but then something happens. Look at verse 4. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. I'm going to go ahead and stop right there. Here's what's really, if you write in your Bibles, and I hope you do, underline the word champion and then just draw a little line out to the side. This is what I want you to write. That word literally means one who divides armies. You will not find the word champion anywhere else in the scriptures than in chapter 17 to describe Goliath. One who divides armies. In other words, he's the difference maker here. Whatever side Goliath is on, that side is going to win. He divides armies down the middle, whatever side he picks, that is going to be the winning side. He is roughly nine feet, nine inches tall. For the sake of this message, I'm just going to say 10 feet because that's close enough. So if you think of 10 feet, that's probably 10 feet right there. Is that right? That ceiling? Most ceilings are about 10 feet. That look like the height of a rim? Some, that's close, right? 10 feet tall. So if you're going, well, I thought he was a giant. Well, okay, that's not a giant, 10 feet tall. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, who can jump and grab, touch the rim in basketball in a, on a legitimate goal without a trampoline, Ramsey? Who can, who can do that? <laughs> so if you can do that, like, only thing you've done, you've just barely touched the top of his head. This dude is a mammoth. And, and his, his coat of armor, which is just what he wears on his chest, is roughly 130 pounds. He has a spear. The head of the spear weighs 15 pounds. In addition to this 130 or so pounds that he wears on his chest, he has bronze shin guards. And not that he needs it, but he has an armor bearer who goes out in front of him as if this guy needs protection. And he has, there's a word that is used later in the chapter, he has a sword. David says, you come to me with sword and spears. He, he had a sword, um, let me see, the, the word in Hebrew is kidon, which meant it was a rounded sword like a sickle. So here you have this guy who was 10 feet tall. Most guys who are 10 feet tall are kind of clumsy, right? Have you ever seen these, really, not most guys that are 10 feet tall, most guys that are tall, like really tall, abnormally tall. Sean Bradley, if you were raised in the 80s like I was, you remember him, basketball, really lanky basketball player. You know, he couldn't, couldn't put his left foot in front of his right foot. Manute Bowl, you know, tall guy. First time he ever tried to dunk, he actually busted his teeth on the rim because he didn't need to jump, right? I mean, he didn't, and he busted his, he lost teeth, right? They're like, they, they're not coordinated. Think about Goliath. He's 10 feet tall. It doesn't say how much he weighs, but again, his armor, you count the shin guards, we're talking like 150 pounds, to fight in like he's big and he is agile he's athletic and he has not a sword that you jab or hack with but one at his height where you can see everyone one that slices mike tyson is a bad man but he is not the baddest man who's ever been on this planet goliath physically like if you just think in human terms he is a bad, bad man. That's, that's who steps forward in this battle. Skip down to verse 8. And he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. 
If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. So this is what happens. I mean, you read it right. But Goliath, like you got the armies lined up. They, they're getting ready to like charge down and like clash. You know, this is ancient times. We don't have guns and cannons and planes and whatever. This is hand-to-hand, brutal, bloody war. And this mammoth of a man steps forward with his sickle in hand and spear on, between his shoulders, and he says, let's do this, guys. Y'all send one man down. Mano y mano, man-to-man, hand-to-hand combat. Whoever wins takes captives. What do you say? What would you say? Uh, Ramsey, didn't you say you could jump and touch the rim of a basketball goal? Because I can't even get off the ground. So maybe you would be the, you know, like, I'm not going out there to fight that dude. You, maybe, I'm not. Look, look at verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Yeah, look at verse 16. And the Philistine came forward morning and evening for 40 days and took his stand. Could you imagine? Every morning, every evening, this big behemoth steps forward in all his scary armor, that big. You got anyone yet? I'm here. And they turn and they go back to their little camp. And they're all looking around at each other like, oh, all right. Ramsey said he's not going. James, I think you kind of almost raised your hand like, are you going to go? The challenge goes unanswered for 40 days and 40 nights. And I know we didn't read everything, so kind of interwoven in this story of, of the armies is the story of the shepherd boy, David. He's home tending the flock, but his dad, Jesse, sends him and says, hey, David, go take some food, check on your brothers, and bring me back some token that lets me know that, that my boys are okay. Remember, David is the youngest of, of eight boys. Now look at verse 20. So David rose early in the morning and left the flock with the keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the circle of the camp. And listen to this. While the army was going out in battle array, shouting... The war cry. <clears throat> now, like I said earlier, like this is an intense, we're going to get to like an intense scene. Like it's on. But verse 20, I have to tell you, I find a little humorous. Look, it's been six weeks, day and night, Goliath steps forward. Red Rover, Red Rover, send someone on over, one-on-one. David David shows up after six weeks of the army being taunted. And what are they doing at the end of verse 20? They're putting on their battle attire, and they're shouting the war cry. I don't know any ancient Israeli war cries, but I'm thinking like, U-G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi, you ugly. Yeah. But I got to tell you, after six weeks of like seeing this guy come out and challenge them, send someone down. What are they putting on their armors for? Like still. 
Why? I can't imagine how much enthusiasm there could be in their war cry. For six weeks, every day, every, they come out in their gear. All right, today's the day. And he, no, no, today's not the day. So I find that amusing, but then here's the thing I got to say. I look at my own life and I ask myself, but Wes, what are you afraid of? So I'm going to ask you tonight, as you're sitting here tonight, what are you afraid of? And I don't mean spiders and snakes and heights. Like, I mean, what circumstance in life are you facing that you're afraid of? If you're in college, and many of you are, you know, maybe you're in a major because you think, you know, this is a safe thing to get a good job that makes money and I can raise a family, support a family. Or maybe that's what your dad's telling you because you, you really have a passion over something that's completely useless and don't take offense to that if you major in sociology, but sociology, right? Because that's me. That's me. A sociology degree and a cup and 50 cents get you ice tip bimolars. That's all it'll get you. And you, you really want to do something other than what you're doing, you know, in that, in college. Or maybe you're out of college and you're thinking the same thing about your job. But the thought of doing something, picking a different field or a different career, as miserable as you might be, scares you. Maybe it's the fear of expectations of your parents or your friends or, or whoever. Or maybe, yeah, maybe it's a job and you're thinking, well, you know what? I, I don't know how to get from here into that field. That's a scary thought. Like, where do I even, how do I get started? And as much as I don't like where I am right now, you know what? It, at least I know what it is. Tomorrow's going to be just like today. There's some, you're comfortable and content in that. So what is your Goliath in life right now? You know, our daughter Gabby has been battling her own Goliath for two years now. <clears throat> and her Goliath is depression. And in case you didn't know, um, she tried to take her own life eight days ago. So it's been a rough week, as you can imagine. And before I go any further, I want to say thank you guys just for loving on us, man. Like, it has been rough. <clears throat> like, like the thoughts and emotions and confusion and replaying conversations. So she's been fighting this for going on two years. It's gotten progressively worse. But here's the deal. She first said something to me about four months ago. And I've had, you know, just processing all of this. And, <clears throat> and I look back and I go, man, you know, four months ago she said something. And you, you know how I, how I treated it? I treated it as, as if it was just normal teenage emotions. You know, like 16-year-old girl, all the pressures in life, 
you know, like she'll be okay. We'll work through this somehow, and she'll be when she's feeling something, she'll let us know because she's very open with us. You know, like she'll we'll get her through this, and she'll be okay. But I gotta tell you, like I look back now, <clears throat> and her depression is kind of has been my Goliath. I've been afraid of it, you know? <clears throat> and I, I know this doesn't really make sense logically, but I'm, I just, I'll say it, and maybe you've been there and can understand it. Like, I just, because I'm sure this is a surprise to many of you, right? Because I've never said what Gabby's been struggling with. Because here's the, the deal. Like, I think deep down, my thought was, if I say it, it becomes real. Which I know doesn't make any sense. I'm a sociology major. I don't have stuff figured out like you guys do. You know, like. But I just thought, you know what? If, if I just kind of ignore it <clears throat> and don't really call it what it is and don't treat it like what it is, then, then it's not real. It'll just go away on its own. In other words, I was just like the Israelite army. I got dressed every day for work. And I came out, and if that thing showed signs, I just kind of ignored it and went back to camp and just acted like it'll be okay. Well, you know, one day, one day, they're thinking, one day we'll come out, and he won't be there. And then we'll charge down and we'll fight him. And now the same mentality I had. One, one day, it'll, it'll just, it won't be there. It'll go away somehow. So I asked you earlier, I'm going to ask you again. So, so as you're sitting here tonight, like, what is it that you're afraid of? What circumstance in life? And, and let me encourage you with, with this. Faith does not make our problems go away. But faith leads us to God who will give us the courage and strength to fight. The Israelites, they see Goliath simply in, in human terms. They see him as the physical challenge that he poses. And they know what's true that human, like if you're just talking human perspective, we can't beat that guy. We, like we just can't. He's too big. He's a warrior from when he was young. That's their view. That was my view. David has a different view. Look at verse 26. <clears throat> Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? And listen to this. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? Stop there. Now, in case you don't know, to call him an uncircumcised Philistine, like, that's an insult. David is offended that this man will come out and talk smack to the army that serves the living God. Because here's the deal. While the Israelite army sees this as a man against man battle, man against giant, I should say, David sees this as a God against giant battle. And now he knows who the victor is going to be. See, they, they only see the earthly, human, physical, material aspect of this. David sees the spiritual side. He is, as we read last or two weeks ago, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. 
when he was anointed. He sees it. He's like, who is this punk running his mouth to us? We serve the living God. That's his, he's ready to rumble. But before he does, we're going to meet two guys who quite honestly in all, like, you know, common sense, they should be the ones going out to fight. Verse 28. Now, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men and, and Eliab's anger burned against David. He said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. But David said, what have I done now? Was it not just a question? Then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing, and the people answered the same thing as before. So Eliab, you got, like he's bitter. Eliab is a bitter big brother. And he's bitter for two reasons. One is, because he should be fighting this guy before David does. You know why? Because he's big. Eliab's not the biggest man in the camp, but he's a big man. We know because when Samuel went to go anoint one of Jesse's sons, Eliab, the oldest, walks in. And what does Samuel think? Oh, surely this is the one. And the Lord speaks and says, no, don't be impressed by his stature. He's not the one I've chosen. So he's bitter for that. Because even if no one said anything to him, like Eliab, kind of like I said to Ramsey, come on, man, you raise your hand, you're big, why don't you go? Even if no one said that to Eliab, you know he's got to be feeling it. He's a big dude. That's a, big, that's a mammoth of a man coming down every morning, every night. Eliab's got to be thinking, man, like we don't have anyone that's even six feet tall. But I'm, 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 like, I'm one of the bigger guys here. Maybe it should be me. But here's the second reason why he's bitter. Because it's David. His little runt kid brother shows up with all this fear and chaos and confusion and turmoil. David, the little shepherd boy who got anointed while I stood by and watched. Yeah. Eliab is a bitter brother and so david just says man hey chill bro i'm just asking a question can a can a brother not ask a question around here and so he asked a question and eliab is fresh. so that was eliab the, the first guy what happens is word gets back to saul like saul man it's been six weeks we got someone who's gonna go he's willing to go fight what do you say saul so saul calls him in verse 32 and david said to saul let no man's heart fail on account of him, your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. Then Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're just a youth while he's been a warrior from his youth. So here we go back to King Saul. He's the second guy that he should be the, he should really be the primary guy, the first one down the hill to fight this battle. Two reasons. One, he's the king. If anyone's going to fight and determine the fate of of the country, it should be the king. And second reason, because he is the biggest man in the camp. He is head and shoulders. He stands above everyone else. I don't know how tall he is, but he's the tallest, biggest Israelite that there is. He's the biggest guy on the team. They send out the biggest guy. We're going to send out our biggest guy. He's the king. Saul won't go. 
And Saul's problem is the same problem that the rest of the army has. He sees this from a, it's just a man against a giant. What does he say? You can't go, you can't. Boy, you're too young, you're too small. You don't know, you'll get wiped out. Did you see how Mike Tyson knocked Michael Spinks into oblivion? That's what God's going to do to you, that you can't go out there. But David, David's got a much different take on things. 34, but David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. So we see Saul who has this, like the rest of the army, they have this very human perspective. And so they are afraid. And Saul and like the other, they won't fight. But David has a, he has spiritual eyes. The Holy Spirit has given him insight that none of the others have. So there's two reasons. There's more than two. I'm just going to give you two. Two reasons why David is the right boy for this man's job. Here's number one. Because he remembers what the Lord has done. He remembers what the Lord has done in his life. David went out chasing after lions and bears as they're making off. Like, you know what? I'm going to tell you. Lion and bear comes, grabs whatever I, you can go. Have it. Not David. No, he's going after it. You know what's interesting? Nowhere in all that we read, and I know we didn't read some verses, but you can read them if you want. Nowhere does the army of, of, of Israel, do they even mention God. Nowhere do they even pray. Nowhere do they recall what the Lord has done. The God who delivered them up out of Egypt, the God who led them into the promised land, who led them to victory, like miraculous victories that we read about in our study of the book of Joshua. They don't remember any of that. They just see this giant standing, and that's a giant problem. They're focused on what they in their own might and strength can do. And every day for 40 days, that giant keeps coming out. He looks bigger every day. And church, here's the thing. We do the same thing. We do the same thing. Like, you know what? When we focus on our problem, it gets bigger. When we lose sight of who God is and what he's done, our problem grows. And when our problem grows, you know what else grows? Our fear grows. But faith will give us a right perspective. So David, one of the, the first thing he does, he remembers what God has done. In fact, no writer in Scripture uses the word remember more than David. Almost 60, that's six zero, not one six, not 16, 60, almost 60 times in the Psalms, he uses the word remember. From Psalm 111, here's just one. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonders to be remembered. So whatever circumstance you're facing here, and I ask you, like, what is your fear tonight? 
I want to encourage you, think back to what God has already done for you in your life. You know, <clears throat> we're in this battle with Gabby. You know, like, we're in this battle. So this week, you know, it's been a time of reflecting on what God has done in her life to get her, you know, to the wonderful 16-year-old girl she is. You guys know her, you know, she's, she's compassionate and, you know, gifted musically and, and all those things. But I look back and like, you know, when has God delivered her? And one of the, one of the things that immediately came to mind was her sixth grade year. It was our first year here at Alamo Stone. We moved to that house off Days of Vala for a year. Gabby's starting middle school. And she's all excited. She's going to make new friends. You know how sweet and tender she is. You know? Like, she's going to make new friends. I'm so, like, she couldn't wait for the first day of school. But here's what I did not prepare her for. I did not prepare her to walk in the door and not know a soul. And in case y'all don't know, middle school is a zoo. So when you have kids, or if you have kids, when they make that jump from fifth to sixth grade, you, like seriously, and I mean that like you need to prepare them for what they're going to hear and see when they walk in the door. She walks in, you got kids making out in the hallways, teachers not even paying attention, and kids cursing and fighting and and they're all in their little cliques, and here's my sweet daughter, our daughter, walking in, and she doesn't know anyone. She's all excited, thinking, I'm going to make new friends. Like, this is going to be great. Can you imagine that situation, and you walk into the cafeteria to get your lunch? Sat by herself for I don't know how long. <clears throat> and even though she sat by herself, you know what? Kids wouldn't leave her alone. Because you know middle school kids, you know how they can be. What's wrong with you, girl? You're a loner? Oh, you ain't got no friends? Man, like the nights where she cried herself to sleep. That was the year the panic attack started. But God is good and he is faithful and he delivered her from that year, and she came out stronger than when she went into sixth grade. And then my mind went back to when she was just two years old. We we're living in just outside of Raleigh, North Carolina. And, and you know, Gabby, even like with both of our kids, like we didn't have any terrible two years with either one of our kids. Like just sweet, gentle, you know. When Gabby was two, she starts running a fever, like a high, like what, 104, something like that? 104. And the whites of her eyes were gray, like gray. 
and blood and bloodshot. And Clark took her to the our um, pediatrician, really good young doctor. And I didn't even know what they said at first, but you know, like we're we're giving her you know the cool baths and the the baby Motrin and like just doing all the things you normally do to bring the temperature down. It ain't coming down. Going back to the pediatrician, bringing her back home, trying the same, nothing's working. Never felt so helpless. <clears throat> and her skin was so hot, like if you touched her, she would just scream in agony. Four days, I think every day, Flora's taking her to the pediatrician, like, oh, she's not getting any, like, what is going on with our baby? You know, like, what's happening? And on the fifth day, we go to the doctor, we go to the pediatrician. And we, I don't think we had appointments any of those days. We just, like, showed up, you know? Fifth day, we just showed up. I'm sure they're thinking, man, they're back, like, you know, what's going on? Well, our pediatrician couldn't see Gabby that day. She was with another patient but there was this very elderly doctor who worked like part-time there and we got Gabby up on the table she's screaming and we're crying it's like what is going on and this old guy walks in and he gets like he doesn't even like he just gets like right here and he goes that baby's got Kawasaki disease and he turns to the nurse and he says call the hospital see if they got a bed I was like, all right, I know Kawasaki's. That's like motorcycles, you know. <laughs> what is this dude talking about? Nurse didn't hesitate, man. She calls over to the hospital. They said, hey, we got one bed. Get her over here right now. Didn't even ask what Kawasaki is. Like, we just left, you know. Like, we got to get her over there, man. This was day five. So here's what we found out. Kawasaki is like, they don't know actually what causes it. But they think they know two things. One is... It happens to kids of Asian descent, my contribution to my, our daughter's sickness. And they think it happens from the bite of a dust mite. So it seems to be common or it, you know, when it does, it's very rare. But when it does happen, it seems to be after you've cleaned the carpet. That one was my wife's fault. Because <laughs> she had used some of that powder you put on the car and she, you know, she stirred up the dust mites, and Gabby got bit, and I'm Asian, and that you know, just was the perfect recipe for our daughter getting Kawasaki disease. By the way, they don't know what causes it. Or, I mean, they, yeah, they don't know what caused, like, you know, what causes it. But they found the cure. So we get there, and like, okay, they, like, this is what it is, Kawasaki disease. Here's what we do know about it. And, and the cure is really simple. She stays overnight. We're going to put an IV in her, and tomorrow she'll be fine. So don't know what causes it, but we know the cure. And the cure was developed by this Japanese doctor, Dr. Kawasaki. Now I was thinking, well, man, that dude got the raw end of the deal. The, he didn't come up with the disease, he came up with the cure, but they called the disease after him, <laughs> you know? But here's what else we learned. It's fatal, could be fatal, if it's not treated in the first five days. We were on day five. That's a scary thought, man. You know, like, but God worked it out so that on day five, our pediatrician who saw her for four straight days didn't have a clue. It was this old guy who's, you know, part-time, 
Just walk, and he immediately goes, that's Kawasaki disease. You got to get her to the hospital right now. So, so whatever we're afraid of, like we, we, we got to do what David does and we, we got to think back and remember how the Lord has delivered us. So I want to encourage you to, to do that. And you know what? Share those stories with people. Share them with me. I'd love to hear them, you know. They would encourage me. And that first one kind of leads to the second one, which is to trust that he's going to deliver you in this current situation. Because here's the deal. I just told you two of the like most heartbreaking stories of my life. But I tell him and praise God for him, you know. So just know that God has delivered you, that he will in whatever you're dealing with right now. And tomorrow you're going to look back and you're going to have a testimony to add to your running list. Because here's the deal, church, with, with what we got going on right now, like Gabby's home, I don't know if you saw her, she was here, she's outside. She's home. And physically she's good, man. But she's not healed. I need you to know this. She's the same girl she is today as she was when y'all saw her last. Now, there was a, an event that happened that she deeply regrets and is sorry for. But, but I, I want y'all to know this. And, you know, we haven't shared a whole lot of details because, you know, I don't, want, I don't want to relive the worst night of my life, worst morning of my life, worst days of my life by telling y'all anything more than you know. But here's you I want you to know this. There was not an event that happened that, you know, broke her heart or crushed her and she got all upset. No, like this is what she's been dealing with that has been growing kind of in her. You know, she and she'd be the she told me this Friday when we were in the hospital. She said, you know, Dad, I just want you to, like I have a wonderful life. I have a great life. I have a great family. I'm loved. I feel like I belong. But I battle this just intense Sadness that hits me. So when you see her, you know, I'm, you know, I'm tonight she's emotional because she's back with the family, you know, like that's an emotional time. I'm emotional. But I just want to hear, like, she's the same girl. She's, she's just the same sweet, compassionate, you know, goofy 16-year-old girl. So I don't know if y'all, you know, if you're expecting, I don't know if you're thinking, because you, I think people have, misconceptions about depression you know she's not gonna walk around moping you're like no like she's who she is she's the same person she was before but we got a battle on our hands man we got to fight this giant i'm grateful for you guys who were fighting this giant with us and i'm confident that just as god delivered us in those other instances that he will deliver her from this too so whatever your giant is tonight, I just, I want to encourage you. Faith does not take the problem away. It gives you a godly perspective. It makes that giant, when you compare the giant to God, the giant suddenly is no giant. He's a little uncircumcised Philistine that we're going to whoop. And we're going to whoop this giant that we're battling right now. And if we can come alongside you and help you, 
slay your giant, then, then you let us know how we can do that. We love you guys. I'm going to pray, and we'll ask the worship team to come up and close us out. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that you are the living God who gives us, as we sang earlier, not a spirit of fear. We're no longer slaves to fear. We are children of the living God who has given us a spirit of courage. The courage it takes to fight the battles. So God, even in the midst of what my family is going through, even right now, Lord, we praise you. And we trust you. And we know that we're going to come out on the other side. And Gabby is going to have an amazing, powerful testimony that I pray will advance the kingdom that souls will be saved. Thank you, Lord, for this church family who is family. Even more family than our own family. God, I asked you maybe two years ago. Who shepherds the pastor? And you have shown me repeatedly that it's the church. So thank you for giving us this wonderful family. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.